0: Chapter 2a of The Shake. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by M. J. Frank. The Shake by E. M. Hall. Chapter 2a. The promised send-off had been enthusiastic. The arrangements for the trip had been perfect. There had been no hitch anywhere. The guide, Mustafa Ali, appeared capable and efficient, effacing himself when not wanted and replying with courteous dignity when spoken to. The day had been full of interest, and the long hot ride had for Diana been the height of physical enjoyment. They had reached the oasis where the first night was to be passed an hour before, and found the camp already established, tents pitched, and everything so ordered that Sir Aubrey could find nothing to criticize. Even Stevens, his servant, who had traveled with him since Diana was a baby, and who was as critical as his master on the subject of camps, had no fault to find diana glanced about her little travelling tent with complete content it was much smaller than the ones to which she had always been accustomed ridiculously so compared with the large one she had had in india the previous year with its separate bath and dressing rooms servants too had swarmed in india here service promised to be inadequate but it had been her whim on this tour to dispense with the elaborate arrangements that sir aubrey cultivated and to try a comparative roughing it the narrow camp-cot the tin bath the little folding-table and her 2 suitcases seemed to take up all the available space but she laughed at the inconvenience though she had drenched her bed with splashing and the soap had found its way into the toe of one of her long boots she had changed from the riding clothes into a dress of clinging jade green silk, swinging short above her slender ankles, the neck cut low, revealing the gleaming white of her soft girlish bosom. She came out of the tent and stood a moment, exchanging an amused smile with Stevens, who was hovering near dubiously, one eye on her and the other on his master. She was late and Sir Aubrey liked his meals punctually. The baronet was lounging in one deck chair with his feet on another. Diana wagged an admonishing forefinger. Fly, Stevens, and fetch the soup. If it is cold, there will be a riot. She walked to the edge of the canvas cloth that had been thrown down in front of the tents and stood reveling in the scene around her her eyes dancing with excitement as they glanced slowly around the camp spread out over the oasis the clustering palm trees the desert itself stretching away before her in undulating sweeps but seemingly level in the evening light far off to the distant hills lying like a dark smudge against the horizon she drew a long breath it was the desert at last the desert that she felt she had been longing for all her life. She had never known until this moment how intense the longing had been. She felt strangely at home, as if the great silent emptiness had been waiting for her as she had been waiting for it. And now that she had come, it was welcoming her softly, with the faint rustle of the whispering sand, the mysterious charm of its billowy, shifting surface that seemed beckoning to her to penetrate further and further into its unknown obscurities. Her brother's voice behind her brought her down to earth suddenly. "'You've been a confounded long time!' she turned to the table with a faint smile. "'Don't be a bear, Aubrey.' it's all very well for you. You have Stevens to lather your chin and to wash your hands. But thanks to that idiot Marie, I have to look after myself. Sir Aubrey took his heels down leisurely from the second chair, pitched away his cigar, and, screwing his eyeglass into his eye with more than usual truculence, looked at her with disapproval. Are you going to rig yourself out like that every evening for the benefit of Mustafa Ali and the camel drivers? I do not propose to invite the worthy Mustafa to meals, and I am not in the habit of rigging myself out, as you so charmingly put it, for any one's benefit. If you think I dress in camp to please you, my dear Aubrey, you flatter yourself. "'I do it entirely to please myself. "'That explorer woman we met in London that first year I began travelling with you "'explained to me the real moral and physical value of changing into comfortable pretty clothes "'after a hard day in breeches and boots. "'You change yourself. What's the difference?' "'All the difference,' he snapped. "'There's no need for you to make yourself more attractive than you are already.' "'Since when has it occurred to you that I am attractive?' "'You must have a touch of the sun, Aubrey,' she replied with uplifted eyebrows, "'drumming impatiently with her fingers on table. "'Don't quibble. You know perfectly well that you are good-looking.' "'too good-looking to carry through this preposterous affair. "'Will you please tell me what you are driving at?' she asked quietly. "'But the dark blue eyes fixed on her brother's face were growing darker as she looked at him. "'I've been doing some hard thinking to-day, Diana. "'This tour, you propose, is impossible.' "'Isn't it rather late in the day to find that out?' she interrupted sarcastically. But he ignored the interruption. "'You must see for yourself, now that you are face to face with the thing, that it is impossible. "'It's quite unthinkable that you can wander for the next month all alone in the desert with those damned niggers.' though my legal guardianship over you terminated last September, I still have some moral obligations towards you. Though it has been convenient to me to bring you up as a boy and to regard you in the light of a younger brother instead of a sister, we cannot get away from the fact that you are a woman and a very young woman. There are certain things a young woman cannot do if you had been the boy i always wished you were it would have been a different matter but you are not a boy and the whole thing is impossible utterly impossible there was a fretful impatience in his voice diana lit a cigarette slowly and swung round on her chair with a hard laugh if i had not lived with you all my life aubrey i should really be impressed with your brotherly solicitude i should think you really meant it but knowing you as i do i know that it is not anxiety on my behalf that is prompting you but the disinclination that you have to travel alone without me You have come to depend on me to save you certain annoyances and inconveniences that always occur in travelling. You were more honest in Biskra when you only objected to my trip without giving reasons. Why have you waited until to-night to give me those reasons?" "'Because I thought that here, at least, you would have sense enough to see them.' in biskrai it was impossible to argue with you you made your own arrangements against my wishes i left it feeling convinced that the impossibility of it would be brought home to you here and that you would see for yourself that it was out of the question diana give up this insane trip i will not I've a th- Thundering good mind to make you. You can't. I'm my own mistress. You have no right over me at all. You have no claim on me. You haven't even that of ordinary brotherly affection, for you have never given me any. So you cannot expect it from me. We needn't make any pretense about it. I'm not going to argue any more. I will not go back to Biskra if you are afraid of being laughed at he sneered but she took him up swiftly i am not afraid of being laughed at only cowards are afraid of that and i am not a coward diana listen to reason aubrey i have said my last word nothing will alter my determination to go on this trip your arguments do not convince me who know you. It is your own considerations, and not mine. They're at the bottom of your remonstrances. You do not deny it, because you can't, because it is true. They were facing each other across the little table. An angry flush rose in Sir Aubrey's face, and his eyeglass fell with a little sharp tinkle against a waistcoat button. "'You're a damned, obstinate little devil,' he said furiously. She looked at him steadily, her scornful mouth firm as his own. "'I am what you have made me,' she said slowly. "'Why quarrel with the result? "'You have brought me up to ignore the restrictions attached to my sex. "'You now round on me and throw them in my face.' All my life you have set me an example of selfishness and obstinacy. Can you wonder that I have profited by it? You have made me as hard as yourself, and you now profess surprise at the determination your training has forced upon me. You are illogical. It is your fault, not mine. There was bound to be a clash some day. It has come sooner than I expected, that's all up till now my inclinations have gone with yours but this seems to be the parting of the ways as i reminded you before i am my own mistress and i will submit to no interference with my actions please understand that clearly aubrey i don't want to wrangle any more i will join you in new york as i promised i am not in the habit of breaking my promises BUT MY LIFE IS MY OWN TO DEAL WITH, AND I WILL DEAL WITH IT EXACTLY AS I WISH, AND NOT AS ANYONE ELSE WISHES. I WILL DO WHAT I CHOOSE, WHEN AND HOW I CHOOSE, AND I WILL NEVER OBEY ANY WILL BUT MY OWN. Sir Aubrey's eyes narrowed suddenly. THEN I HOPE TO HEAVEN. THAT ONE DAY YOU WILL FALL INTO THE HANDS OF A MAN WHO WILL MAKE YOU OBEY, HE CRIED WRATHFULLY. HER SCORNFUL MOUTH CURLED STILL MORE SCORNFULLY. THEN HEAVEN HELP HIM, SHE RETORTED scathingly, AND TURNED AWAY TO HER TENT. BUT ALONE HER ANGER GAVE WAY TO AMUSEMENT it had been something, after all, to rouse the lazy Aubrey to wrath. She knew exactly the grievance he had been nursing against her during the last few weeks in Biskra. Though he travelled perpetually and often in remote and desolate places, he travelled with the acme of comfort and the minimum of inconveniences. He put himself out for nothing, and the inevitable difficulties that accrued fell on diana's younger and less blasé shoulders she had always known the uses he put her to and the convenience she was to him he might have some latent feelings with regard to the inadvisability of her behaviour he might even have some prickings of conscience on the subject of his upbringing of her but it was thoughts of his own comfort that were troubling him most that she knew and the knowledge was not conducive to any kinder feeling towards him. He always had been, and always would be, supremely selfish. The whole of their life together had been conducted to suit his conveniences, and not hers. She knew, too, why her company was particularly desired on his visit to America. It was a hunting trip, but not the kind that they were usually accustomed to. It was a wife— and not big game that was taking sir aubrey across the ocean on this occasion it had been in his mind for some time as an inevitable and somewhat unpleasant necessity women bored him and the idea of marriage was distasteful but a son to succeed him was imperative a mayo must be followed by a mayo an heir was essential for the big property that family had held for hundreds of years no woman had ever attracted him but of all women he had met american women were less actively irritating to him and so it was to america that he turned in search of a wife he proposed to take a house in new york for a few months and later on in newport and it was for that that diana's company was considered indispensable She would save him endless trouble, as all arrangements could be left in her hands and Stephen's. Having made up his mind to go through with a proceeding that he regarded in the light of his sacrifice on the family altar, his wish was to get it over and done with as soon as possible, and Diana's interference in his plans had exasperated him. It was the first time that their wills had crossed, and she shrugged her shoulders impatiently with a grimace at the recollection. A little more, and it would have degenerated into a vulgar quarrel. She banished Aubrey and his selfishness resolutely from her mind. It was very hot, and she lay very still in the narrow cot, wishing she had not been so rigid in the matter of its width. "'and wondering if a sudden movement in the night "'would precipitate her into the bath that stood alongside. "'She thought regretfully of a punkah, "'and then smiled derisively at herself. Sybarite, she murmured sleepily, "'you need a few discomforts.' "'She was almost aggressively cheerful next morning at breakfast.' and for the time that they lingered at the oasis after the baggage-camels had started sir aubrey was morose and silent and she exchanged most of her badinage with Stevens, who was superintending the packing of the tiffin basket that would accompany her in charge of the man who had been selected as her personal servant and who was waiting with Mustafa ali and about ten men to ride with her The time for starting came. Stevens was fussing about the horse that Diana was to ride. "'Everything all right, Stevens? Up to your standard?' "'Don't look so glum. I wish you were coming to look after me. But it couldn't be done. Sir Aubrey would be lost without you.' The idea of a tour without Stevens in the background seemed suddenly momentous and the smile she gave him was more serious than she meant it to be. She went back to her brother, who was pulling his moustache savagely. "'I don't think there's any use waiting any longer. You won't want to hurry yourself too much, and you will want to be in Biskra in time for dinner,' she said as casually as she could. He swung towards her. "'Diana, it's still not too late to change your mind.' FOR HEAVEN'S SAKE, GIVE UP THIS FOLLY. IT'S TEMPTING PROVIDENCE. FOR THE FIRST TIME THERE WAS A GENUINE RING IN HIS VOICE, AND FOR A MOMENT DIANA WAVERED, BUT ONLY FOR A MOMENT. THEN SHE LOOKED AT HIM WITH A SLOW SMILE. DO I FALL ON YOUR NECK AND SAY, TAKE ME BACK, DEAR GUARDIAN, I WILL BE GOOD? OR DO I PROSTRATE MYSELF AT YOUR FEET, and knock my head on your boots and whine in the language of the country. Hearing is obeying. Don't be ridiculous, Aubrey. You can't expect me to change my mind at the eleventh hour. It's perfectly safe. Mustafa Ali will take care that everything goes smoothly. He has his reputation in Biskra to think of. You know the character the authorities gave him. He is not likely to throw that away. "'In any case, I can take care of myself, thanks to your training. "'I don't mind owning to being conceited about my shooting. "'Even you admit that I am a credit to your teaching.' "'With a gay little laugh she whipped out the ivory-mounted revolver, "'and aiming at a low, flat rock some distance away, fired. "'She was an unusually good revolver shot. "'But this time she seemed to have missed.' There was no mark on the stone. Diana stared at it stupidly, a frown of perplexity creasing her forehead. Then she looked at her brother and back to the revolver in her hand. Sir Aubrey swore. Diana! What a senseless piece of bravado! he cried angrily. She took no notice of him. She was still staring at the smooth rock fate. I don't understand it how could i miss it's as big as a house she murmured thoughtfully and raised the revolver again but sir aubrey caught her wrist for god's sake don't make a fool of yourself a second time you have lowered your prestige quite enough already he said in a low voice with a glance at the group of watching arabs diana jerked the little weapon back into its place reluctantly don't understand it she said again it must be the light she mounted and wheeled her horse alongside of sir aubrey's and held out her hand good-bye aubrey expect me a month after you arrive i will cable to you from cherbourg good luck i shall roll up in time to be best man she added laughing and with a nod to mustafa ali she turned her horse's head southwards for a long time she rode in silence the quarrel with aubrey had left a nasty taste in her mouth she knew that what she was doing was considered unconventional but she had been brought up to be unconventional she had never even thought when she planned her tour of possible criticism it would have made no difference to her if she had thought and she had been amazed and amused at the sensation that her proposed trip had caused the publicity to which it had given rise had annoyed her intensely she had been scornful that people could not occupy themselves with their own affairs and leave her to deal with hers but that aubrey should join in the general criticism and present such a complete volte-face to the opinions he had always held was beyond her comprehension she was angry with him and contempt was mingled with her anger it was inconsistent with the whole of his lifelong attitude toward her and the discovery of his altered ideas left her rather breathless and more than ever determined to adhere to her own deeply rooted convictions aubrey was responsible for them he had instilled them and if he chose now to abandon them that was his lookout For her own part she saw no reason to change principles she had been brought up in. If Aubrey really thought there was danger in this expedition, he could have sacrificed himself for once and come with her. As Jim Arbuthnot had said, it was only a month, a negligible length of time. But Aubrey's selfishness would not allow him to make that concession, any more than her own obstinacy would allow her to give way it was too much to expect. And this was the desert. It was the expedition that she had dreamed of and planned for years. She could not give it up. The idea of danger brought a little laugh to her lips. How could anything in the desert hurt her? It had been calling to her always. There was nothing strange about the scene that lay all around her. Her surroundings seemed oddly familiar. THE BURNING SUN OVERHEAD AND THE CLOUDLESS SKY, THE SHIMMERING HAZE RISING FROM THE HOT, DRY GROUND, THE FEATHERY OUTLINE OF SOME CLUSTERING PALM-TREES IN A TINY, DISTANT OASIS, WERE LIKE REMEMBRANCES THAT SHE WATCHED AGAIN WITH A FEELING OF GLADNESS THAT WAS FULLER AND DEEPER THAN ANYTHING SHE HAD BEEN CONSCIOUS OF BEFORE. SHE WAS RADIANTLY HAPPY, happy in the sense of her youth and strength, her perfect physical fitness, happy in the capacity of her power of enjoyment, happy with the touch of the keen, nervous horse between her knees, exhilarated with her new authority. She had looked forward so eagerly, and realization was proving infinitely greater than anticipation. And for a whole month, This perfect happiness was to be hers. End of chapter 2a. Recording by M. J. Frank, Portland, Oregon.